you will give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined once again, and as always, by my co-host, Joseph Fornerado. Joe, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Eric. I am good. I'm good. Uh, Not as good as you, because you have seen The Flash, and I have not. (laughs) I have seen The Flash. Luckily, everything worked out according to plan. I was able to see The Flash. I got to see it with um, our buddy Anthony Caruso from Tis the Podcast. I got to meet up with him. Um, me and my cousin went up there, got in line, got got in, and man, what a what a blast! And yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an experience, and I can't wait to be able to discuss the film with uh, with especially you and and everybody else. I I got some. Uh, I was able to discuss it with some people online through private messages, which was nice. But uh, let's let's not get too much into that because I don't want to rub it in too much, and we will uh, we'll talk yeah, about no, it. It's completely fine. I, I've told you, and I feel this way about all the guys, you know, Andy DeGenova and Anthony Caruso, all you guys that have seen the movie. I take solace in the fact that you haven't seen everything yet, um, because and and you can speak to this a little more than I can. Uh, apparently, they made it clear that you haven't seen the final cut correct or 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 the final uh i guess what everybody's gonna see on june 16th you haven't seen that yet correct yeah so um before the film started you know andy and barbara were on the screen and they basically introduced the film and said this is not the final cut um so i'm assuming it's the same cut that they saw at cinema con -Con. so and i was actually kind of relieved by that i thought that um was smart and it also gives me more incentive to be excited again for opening night. And I'm glad that whatever big surprises they have with what they withheld will 
still be big surprises because unfortunately some stuff has already gotten out there that I wish you guys hadn't have seen. Um, so at least with this case, nobody has seen the final product as far as I know, other than WB. So, um, that's, that's smart. And I can't wait to see what the differences are. It's cool that I get to, you know, experience both versions. And, and so I don't know what, as far as in the film goes, but we did not see any mid credit scene, post credit scene. The film ended. We didn't even get credits. Right. That's, I I think that's what Andy was saying. Like you got to the end and it just cut to black. That was it. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. And then I think it might've said like, uh, directed by Andy Musetti, something like that, but I, I don't remember, but, um, yeah, so it was definitely a fun experience, and like I said, I can't wait to, to actually be able to talk about it with you. What's in, fun about uh, that to me, and, and I don't mean to sidebar this too much on your your screening, but what's fun about that to me is, like when we got the Suicide Squad um, early screening, the difference there is they showed us everything, um, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, we saw everything yes. there was to see in that movie, and then there was really no no surprise, you know, there was no really big... Um, anticipation for opening weekend, at least for me, because I had already seen it. Um, so that, I think that's a fun thing mm-hmm. that they did. They left a little bit dangling there. So that's interesting. Uh, but we are on the road to the flash for those of us who still haven't seen it. And for you, Joe, because you haven't seen everything as we've discussed. And this is our, our second little pit stop, our final pit stop on the road to the flash, because the very next episode of this show will be reviewing Joe and I reviewing the flash. We will both have seen it at that point. So hang on tight. It's coming in just a couple of weeks. Uh, but for today, uh, we're, we have another anniversary. And if you follow us on social media, especially on Twitter, you know what this episode is. We covered justice league, the flashpoint paradox last week. And this week we're covering a 10 year anniversary. So before we get started there, Joe, just, I mean, we cover a lot of anniversaries on this show, but it's kind of stunning to me that this movie is 10 years old. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, which in essence means the DCEU is 10 years old, um, which is pretty crazy for a, um, a universe that keeps <laughs> needing to be saved. <laughs> it lasted 10 years. Um, but yeah, I, it's cool. Cause like we've done a lot of like short anniversaries or anniversaries that other podcasts have covered because we're a newer podcast. We, we've been trying to go back and do a lot of, you know, any, any excuse to talk about these classics. And this one was too perfect. Um, like I said, last week, this is the first, non-Batman anniversary movie we are covering. And I think that is very fitting um, with both of our loves for this film, but especially yours, because this is your number one DC my, film, DCU, correct? yes. Um, with a bullet, yeah, this is my yeah. favorite. So without any more banter yeah. or, or kind of burying the lead here, let's just get into it. We're talking 10-year anniversary of my favorite DCU film, Man of Steel. So Man of Steel was released in the United States on June 14th, 2013. So we are just, we're, we're going to be about a week early when this releases, but you know, that's that very same 
time frame is going to be when the Flash releases. So we had to get a little early on it. Uh, but 10 years. I, just, I Like I said before we before we got started here, I'm just amazed that this movie is 10 years old. You know, there's some films that you that you look back and you you think about and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but for some reason, like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like this movie is that old. Um, it's still a very fresh take, in my opinion, on Superman. And we're going to dive into all that. Um, but before we kind of dive into the movie itself, Joe, um, as we do, when we look back at these anniversaries, I kind of wanted to talk about like, um, the, the build up to this film, um, where you were at kind of as a fan at this time, cause it had been a, it had been several years since we had had a Superman film. Um, and Superman returns wasn't exactly, I don't think what everyone was looking for. And let's be honest, neither was this film for a lot of people. I love it, but that being said, just tell me, just go back to 2013 um, or even before when you found out this film was coming. Tell me about your excitement level um, and, and what what did you think about a new Superman film coming um, in the build up to this? Well, just to get right down to it, my first introduction to this film, I believe, was sitting down to watch The Dark Knight Rises mm. and seeing the teaser. Because if I remember correctly, that is the first time this teaser. Yes, dropped, uh, that's when I saw it. So when my brother and I went to see the Dark Knight Rises and at the IMAX in Raleigh, North Carolina, this was the first I knew that the, a new Superman film mm-hmm. was coming when we saw this teaser. Yeah, because I prior to this movie, I was not a Superman fan. Um, I was a casual DC fan mm-hmm. and a Batman fan. So when I saw the teaser to this, I didn't really think anything of it. I'm like, oh, cool. A new Superman movie's coming out. And I had no idea. And this was the beginning of my love for Superman. The buildup to this film after I knew about the teaser and, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy had ended and I was looking to get into other things other than, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I was into. Um, It just kind of became this, you know, the beginning of everything that we're into now, it's kind of weird to go back and think about a time when I really, I wasn't following non Batman Mm -hmm. stuff very much. (laughs) And, um, you know, between the teaser and the trailers, I mean that, that second trailer that starts with Jarrell looking out at Krypton in shambles of the, uh, you know, the Zod attack or the Zod uh, coup. I will never forget how awesome that trailer was. I mean, that still to this day might be one of the best trailers we've ever seen. And the buildup to this film because of the trailers, I, I was just like, wow, like this looks so different for a Superman film. And this is what got me into it. And it's weird to say like, oh, it's so different. And I think that might be an argument against the film Mm -hmm. for some people. But for me, in retrospect, yes, it was different for Superman on film. But, you know, without getting too much into the comparisons of the comics and stuff, after seeing this movie, I went back and read a ton of Superman comics and a ton of, you know, ingested a ton of the animation and, and, you know, that's 
kind of what these films should be doing is getting you invested in characters and, and making you go towards the source material in other iterations and, and kind of trying to broaden your horizons a little bit and getting you into more than just your, your tunnel vision of what you think you like, or, or you know, just, you know, always known. So probably a, a long answer um, as far as just saying, you know, I really wasn't crazy excited until the market. Like I was a mm. casual fan for this and we don't get that too much now. So yeah. And we could talk about when we actually saw the film later on, but that's, that's pretty much, you know, the long winded version of, of how I felt going into this film. Well, yeah. And our paths are pretty similar here because as I said, you know, that seeing that IMAX screening of the dark Knight, and that was the teaser trailer for man of steel was the only trailer attached to the dark Knight rises that night um, for our viewing. Now, I don't know if that's because it was, um, we saw it in an actual, you know, IMAX in a science museum. So there was no, you know, there was no AMC or, or Cinemark or anything like that marketing push. So the only trailer we got, and I'm pretty sure that's because Nolan was involved was the man of steel teaser. And, I remember specifically, you know, that trailer starting and I, I that trailer has like a, that, that teaser trailer has the Lord of the Rings music in it. And I remember yep. it starting and I wasn't sure what was going on. And then I kind of started to piece it together, you know, as Jor-El or, you know, Russell Crowe starts talking. Uh, and then when we got to the sonic boom as Superman takes flight, my brother and I just looked at each other and I think we both knew, okay, we're going to be back next year to see that here. Um, because it just looked amazing. But as you said before that, I liked Superman. Um, but before man of steel, I never really loved Superman. Like I had seen the Christopher Reeves movies and they were okay. When I was a kid, you know, um, they weren't as cool as Batman, but you know, they had a little age on them at that time already. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I watched the Superman animated series mostly because Batman popped up in it, if that makes sense. Um, so I kind of gained a little mm-hmm. bit of a, a like with Superman because in association with Batman. And it's funny how that works out because there's very much an association here with the Dark Knight Rises trailer or, or Dark Knight Rises screening. But after that, uh, my brother and I did go back the very next year to the same IMAX theater in Raleigh to see Man of Steel and I was blown away by that movie. Um, absolutely love Man of Steel. Ten years later, it's still my number one DC film or DCU film, excuse me. And yeah, um, it, it says something that ten years later, none of these other movies, as good as some as some of them have been, has touched it. And like you, it made me appreciate Superman a lot more. I started reading Superman. And I, I really fell in love with Superman as a character. And it took this film and this new interpretation to do that. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I could wax poetic about this movie all day long, <laughs> but that would be unfair. Uh, <laughs> so I do want to just ask, cause I know it, this movie's got a huge cast. It very much mirrored that kind of setup that the Nolan Batman films had where you, uh, where you build just a really, solid cast and i knew just about everybody going into this movie you know kevin costner diane lane amy adams lawrence fishburne 
Um, and, and the list goes on. But I really didn't know anything about Henry Cavill. So I'm curious, did you have any familiarity with Henry Cavill going in? No, not at all. I mean, I I don't even think I knew who Michael Shannon was when, mm-hmm. when this movie was coming out, to be honest with you. Um, no, not, not at all. <laughs> it was... And I don't even know how much I followed the casting when this was happening. Like I said, I mean, I, I didn't know about mm-hmm. the film until the teaser. So yeah, this was very uncharted territory for me um, as far as like a, a comic book. Yeah, movie. and for me as well. I knew Michael Shannon only because I had seen him in some bit parts and he was very much a journeyman actor at that time. Yeah, like I knew him, like I knew his face. Mm-hmm. I didn't know of his you know, his name or his body work, just, you know, he was a, that guy. At the exactly. Time. <laughs> yeah. Sentence, that is. Um, I think it, yeah. thinking back on it, I know I had seen immortals at the time, but it was one of those situations where I didn't mm-hmm. realize that Henry Cavill was in immortals until much later. Like until I had, you know, mm-hmm. seen man of steel and kind of gained a, an appreciation of Henry Cavill and started following him a little bit. I was like, Oh my God, that's right. That was him in immortals. Um, but either way, so tell me about did you did you see this opening weekend? I'm assuming so. Oh yeah, so when I mean when I was amped up for this with the trailers and everything, I my wife and I used to always go to see the big films that we were really mm-hmm. excited about down in Atlantic City at the traditional IMAX theater. So like like you were talking about with the Science Museum, we have a an IMAX theater at the Tropicana hotel in Atlantic city. And it is not AMC. You have to buy tickets to Ticketmaster. I think mm-hmm. I've talked about it before. And it, um, at the time it was actually a 70 millimeter. Uh, it's since gone digital, but it's, you know, a huge screen, 70 millimeter, uh, film IMAX. And I remember going there and making a day of it. Like we would, um, we, I think we might've stayed over like the night before and then watched it, you know, mm-hmm. on that Friday, um, probably because it was easier for us to get tickets for Friday than to rush down there on a Thursday night. Um, yeah, it was, again, this was, I was really excited for this because I didn't know what to expect from a Superman film that it was, it was weird for me to be excited about a Superman film, but the trailers blew me away and let's call it what it was. This was Superman getting the Batman begins treatment, which, Let's be honest, a lot of films at that point were getting the quote-unquote Batman Begins treatment. But I will say, this is the one that I feel has... I don't know if overcome is the right word, but it's like, it's gone past that in reputation, where it's not just now the Batman Begins of Superman, it's now its own thing. Does that make sense? Or am I maybe overthinking that but I, I don't think of it anymore as superman begins it's now man of steel to me it's not trying to be batman begins anymore but i feel like when it came out that's pretty much what everyone mm-hmm. considered yeah and, and what's weird is like i never think that now unless someone brings it up and then it's clearly oh yeah of course it's batman begins Oh, the nonlinear yeah. storytelling, like it's it's but, yeah, but it, it superseded that. Like it's it's absolutely yeah. Watching it now, like I never think that while I'm watching the film, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think the prologue sets it apart because that, and I might be getting into the film a little bit here, but 
that was the thing that I remember the most about the first screening was I remember watching the Krypton sequence and, and I'm not familiar with, um, or at the time I definitely wasn't, but I wasn't, uh, familiar with the Christopher Reeve Superman film as much mm-hmm. as I am with this or any other recent movies. So I remember watching this and thinking, wow, this is a lot of time spent on Krypton, but I wasn't bored. I was excited and it was so cool. But like, I remember looking at my watch going, oh man, we're at like 20 minutes already and we're just leaving Krypton. Like, what is going on? This is insane. And I loved every second of it. Now, granted, I will say, I think the 78 Superman film spends about 15, 20 minutes on Krypton, but not quite to the same level of entertainment as this does. Yeah, you're not kidding. And that's not, listen, I'm I'm not trying to, to crap on that movie. It's just different times. It was very you know, methodical with what they were doing in the beginning of that film, where this one, it, it's doing something different. It's setting it apart from the past. And I, I love that this film does have the, the template of the Reeve films, the first two to be precise, it kind of homages those two films pretty well. And, but just kind of modernizes them to a great degree, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you've said that, which you've recently watched the, at least the first two Reeves films or Reeve films. And I'm going to have to do that because as much as you've, as you've said it, like it's been so long since I've seen those movies that I can't, you know, I can't correlate that in my brain, I guess. Um, so having, Mm -hmm. I just watched man of steel the other day. So I'm going to have to watch those, those original Superman films and see that homage you're talking about. Cause I do think that's really cool. And I don't doubt that one bit. I do absolutely think that Zack Snyder would have thrown in homages. Um, but I will say just that opening sequence you were talking about starting on Krypton and this just epic nature to it and seeing it in IMAX, especially this, in my opinion, man of steel is one of the most perfect films for the IMAX experience because it just, it immerses you immediately and it's big and it's loud and, um, Krypton just, it it told me from the beginning, this is completely different. Like this is unlike any kind of Superman I've ever Mm -hmm. seen before. And you know, I'm a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings films and those films are all about scope and you know, the world building. And I just felt from the first 15, 20 minutes, Zack Snyder pulled me in to this world and I was fully invested. And I, in the first few minutes when um, when Zod is after he's already killed Jor-El and he's, you know, he's telling after he's captured and he's telling Laura, you know, I will find him. And she said he's talking about her son. It's, it's one of the first times in a comic book film. And I've told you this before, but Michael Shannon Zod and his conviction and how much it seemed like he truly meant what he was saying it's the first time that a comic book villain in a movie while I'm sitting in the theater actually gave me a sense of dread Um, because Mm -hmm. I believed every word he was saying. And to this day, Shannon Zod is still my favorite comic book movie villain. I just think he's amazing. And I think he killed that part. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about him a little more through the movie, but I mean, you really get his introduction here in the beginning. So what did you, what did you think of Zod in this movie? Cause it, we had had Zod before with Terrence stamp. So 
Um, did you have any preconceived notions of Zod? And what did you think of him after we met him here in the movie? You know, honestly, I can't even remember if I saw Superman 2 prior to this or not. Um, I'm sure I had, but not to the point of having those preconceived notions. Like, I, I really didn't have any preconceived notions other than I knew of those old films, but they were just old films to me. Like, and I don't mean that to slight them because I do love them. And like we talked about prior, like, I've gone back and really appreciated those films. And I've heard Zack Snyder talk about how, like, even when this, and I'm sorry, I'm going off a tangent with Michael Shannon, but like, I've heard um Snyder when he was talking with uh David uh not was it David Goyer I think he was talking to David Goyer and they basically said like oh no I'm sorry I think it was Jay Oliva when they were doing the storyboards and he was like um he was like humming the uh John Williams theme while they were going over storyboards and he's like but we can't use that WB doesn't want us to use that and Jay Oliva and him were like bummed out that they couldn't use the John Williams theme so like everyone that kind of kills Snyder for you know doing the things he did like it wasn't all him like he has a lot of love for those original films and so with the Michael Shannon stuff um it's just yeah I I just treated it like it was it was just this is the movie's version and to me this was Zod like that was it. I wasn't thinking about the prior version. It was, I wanted to take this film for mm-hmm. what it was. And I, and I wasn't consciously doing it. It's just, I went into a film and watched a film. I wasn't overthinking it. I wasn't trying to compare it to other things at the time. And the one thing I got to say about Zod, because I, it still baffles me to this day, <clears throat> excuse me, the suit being CGI. Oh, it's insanity. <laughs> I, I, for the longest time, like, I guess the first time I knew about it was when the special features came out for the disc. Mm-hmm. I never even questioned the fact that that was a CGI suit in the theater. And knowing that it's a CGI suit, there are times when I forget because it looks so damn. It does. I. It's ridiculous. And again, another tangent that will probably be going on tangents for this whole damn podcast uh, mm-hmm. episode, <laughs> but the CGI in this film holds up so good it's better than most films we see today and it's 10 years old which i guess you could argue 10 years doesn't seem like it's that long but i don't know man you see some films come out today and you're like did you go back and watch something like this i don't understand how some films can look iffy when you could watch a film like this and see that suit (laughs) just in a nutshell the suit like the zod's outfit in this the kryptonian tech and everything like everything just looks well and that's and that's one thing that you um you kind of touched on was the you know the look um and the cgi and things like that but one thing that nobody ever faults Zack snyder for is his visuals like he's he's very controversial Mm -hmm. in many other aspects but his visuals everybody tends to agree that he's a master visual storyteller and I don't know, like some of the movies, especially more recent superhero films, sometimes it just, you can tell they're standing on a green screen um, or, or, you know, a set with a green screen around them. And I don't know, like Krypton in this film, it just feels lived in. Like, I, I mean, it, it feels real when you're watching the movie. And let's like, let's be honest. Zach uses a mm-hmm. lot of oh, green yeah. screen, but he's so stylized with the way he does things that you just feel like you're in that world. You're not thinking about the fact that it's Mm -hmm. a green screen. 
And I think that's what separates a good director from a, an okay director or a, you know, dare I say poor director. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here. Cause I, I don't think that's as simple as I'm making it, but Zach knows what he's trying to get across, even with a green screen. And he'll put, you know, actual elements in that foreground to, to make you forget that you're on a green screen or, you know, he just, like you said, he immerses you in that world and like to make Krypton look as real as it does, where it lets we know that's a green screen, but you don't think about it because it's the scope again, that scope that you were talking about. It just looks so, so deep. Well, and, and I'm not even going to say that it has anything to do with his directing skill or not. I just think he's very involved in the visual effects process. And I don't think he settles for mm-hmm. less than, you know, amazing work. Um, which mm-hmm. I will say 2013 was a very different time. There wasn't one of these coming out every couple of months, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, I, very good point. I think that has a lot to do with it where they could take the time back then to mm-hmm. do this, where nowadays so many films rely on so much CGI that they're overworked and they can't take the time and put the work in and detail everything to the extent that this film got. And I'm glad that the DC films do take their time for the most part. Like, yeah, this. exactly. Um, but another point about the visuals, um, something I definitely wanted to bring up, you brought up Zod suits. Uh, or his suit, but I, I wanted to discuss just the, the suits in general, the costuming for this film, like every suit that is worn by Kryptonians. Um, and especially, and it is Michael Wilkinson, Michael Wilkinson did, uh, all three films, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, but every suit in this film, especially, uh, Kal-El suit, you know, the, the Superman suit, um, the black suits that Superman and Zod wear, the the armored suits. I mean, everything just has an elegance to it, I think. And, and I know that in the 70s, you know, they didn't have the uh, ability to make suits on this level or this scale. But it just sets this film apart to me. And I know, you know, now you see suits with, you, you know, the textured superhero suits all the time. Um, but I remember the first time I saw the Man of Steel Superman suit, I was blown away because I'd never seen anything like that. And Superman just looks, he looked so cool in the promo images and I, the, the shot, you know, the now famous shot of him against the bank vault. I mean, you know, that suit just, it, it pops, even though, you know, a lot of people complain about it being muted and things like that. I think it looks amazing. And I love all of the little intricacies that went into those suits about, you know, being Royal, Royal ambassador suits or whatever the, the backstory was. Um, it just feels like they have a history and an elegance about them. But what were you going to say, Joe? No, I, I, I should correct myself because I said I didn't know about the film prior to that teaser. I had to have because I would assume that Bang Volt shot came out prior to the teaser. So I definitely saw that shot um, when it was released. And yeah, I I also, um, it was Michael Wilkinson and James Ackerson um, is the other costume designer for this film. So I wanted to give them credit because yeah, the costumes in this are unbelievable. The, like the texture of the suits, the detail, again, the word detail, I feel like should go hand in hand with anything Zack Snyder does because everything is thought out and that the suits, even like the, the texture of the suits, like the, the shine on them. I mean, when you watch this at home and you know, on our 4k screens and you see like just the 
the light hitting them and the way it's filmed and everything just looks amazing. And yeah, like we could talk about the story and, you know, um, everything else that goes into this film, but the visuals are stunning. Like there is nothing, you know, you said it again. Um, even people that have problems with this film and maybe they, they criticize, like you said, the muting of the colors to an extent, but the visuals of this film to me are beautiful. And yeah, the color, it has that filter to it a little bit. I, I do prefer the color in BVS to this. If I'm going to nitpick, but I think it works for this film. Okay. Yeah. And, and even like, even outside of the big grand, you know, superhero suits and villain suits and things like that. I mean, even the costuming like Jonathan, Martha Kent, like their clothing just screams Americana. It makes you feel like it's, you know, it, it immerses you in the Midwest of the United States. Um, and I don't know. They just, something as simple as Clark having the Kansas city Royals yes. shirt on. Like I love exactly. Like yeah. And, and the, the clothing that Jonathan wore, you know, it, it looks very much like what, you know, farmers wear it looked like it was lived in. And I can't, and I'm going to say that I may say that a lot because even like the Kent farm, mm. it's a little more weathered, I would say in man of steel than it is in mm. other uh, media, but it's a, it's a working farm. It feels like a working farm. You know, the house isn't perfect. It needs a paint job. Um, the same with the barn and the truck. It just, but it feels like, you know, these people work with what they have. Um, and yeah, I just, again, <laughs> I can go on and on and on. Um, but it, well, it might also speak to the fact that modern farmers are not as well off as old farmers may have been, true. you know, it's, it's a different yeah. world now. Yeah. And I, one thing, uh, about that, because having, you know, driven through, oh my God, driven through Kansas, let me tell you, Kansas driving through Kansas to get to Colorado is the worst stretch of that drive imaginable. Because there's nothing out there. It's very flat. And having lived in Colorado for several years now, I mean, you get an, you get an appreciation for how dry it is out here. And, you know, even watching Smallville, Smallville looking back now doesn't look like Kansas. Cause if you go to Kansas today, it does not look lush and green. Most likely it's going to look a little Brown <laughs> cause it's dry. Mm. And that's uh, that, that's what it looked like in Man of Steel. Not too many forests. Not too many forests. Right. In and, but that's what it looks like in Man of Steel. It looks like how I would imagine now having lived in the Midwest or, you know, in the, I guess I live more West, but even still, that's what it looks like. So I just appreciate that, which mm. most people wouldn't even catch, but either way. Um, I did want to discuss, you You brought up earlier, right at the beginning when we started talking, the non-linear storytelling, which I'll tell you, when I sat down to watch this film in the IMAX theater that night, I did not expect, you know, the jump cuts and things like that. So as we're jumping back and forth between Clark's story now and his story growing up, um, what did you think of that choice watching it in the theater? Well, I think the interesting part of it being nonlinear is it's not even linear with the flashbacks. It kind of, and I, I like the idea of we're going to jump back to a time in Clark's life that is relevant to what's happening in the modern time mm-hmm. um, or the present time. I, I think I love that about this. I think 
I think it's an interesting way to do the nonlinear storytelling as opposed to just having two timelines that are kind of going consecutively, you know, through the film or, or um, chronologically through the film. I like that it jumps around to what is mm-hmm. relevant. I think, I think the kid that was cast as young Clark, uh, both young Clarks is amazing. He looks like he could be a easily Henry Cavill's brother or looks almost like Tom Welling. Um, <laughs> I also, so I've been rewatching Smallville or watching Smallville for the first time. And I, I tell you all the time while I'm watching Smallville that like, I, I could see Zach was a fan of Smallville while, while making this film too. Like I see so many parallels with that. And I know people that don't like this film probably hate me for saying all these things, but I, I see it. I, I, I can appreciate all of the, you know, the different iterations of Superman and, and I see the similarities. But yeah, I like the nonlinear storytelling. I think it works. I think it's a good way to keep the pace up to this film because you don't get Superman in his suit until the hour mark. Again, that Batman Begins formula. Um, But you're still seeing... like I feel like if they just started with a young Clark after Krypton, it might have dragged the story a little bit. I think it was smart to go right into the oil rig and get an action scene again, though crazy right after the action on Krypton, but it's, they paced out the, the action because of the huge action at the end of the film. The middle is where there's not a lot of action. That's where all the, the character stuff is setting up. And even the action scene on the oil rig is still character moments for Clark. You're seeing him doing this heroic stuff before he even becomes Superman. And I think that's important. That's a great point, Joe. And that's, that's one thing. I'm glad you said that because that's one thing that. And people forget that he's doing something heroic in that (laughs) scene because he's not in the suit. Right. Because, you know, it only counts if he's in the suit. (laughs) Right. But I love the fact that he, you know, that's one thing that greatly differentiates this between the 78 Superman (sighs) is that he doesn't spend 30 years, you know, or however long. In, I can't remember how long it was, but he didn't spend years and years and years in the Fortress of Solitude, you know, learning all of this stuff. He spent years learning how to become a human and how to protect humanity. And I love that because, I mean, you know, he's trying to figure out who he is, but along the way, he can't help himself but to save people you know, that he sees in danger mm-hmm. or in trouble. And even Lois Lane, at one moment in the film, she she recognizes that and, and she says, I don't think you can stop. You know, you, you can't not help people. It's not in you, mm-hmm. which is absolutely Superman. Uh, and I love that. I love that parallel uh, between, you know, there was this journey that Christopher Reeve Superman went on where he was away from the world, but he learned how to be Superman. And in this film, Clark is very much in the world but he learns how to be Superman. So I don't know. I just, it, it works really well for me. Um, well, I also think we take for granted the fact that the first thing Clark does when he meets Lois is save her life by showing him or by showing her that he's Superman. So <clears throat> we take for granted. It's Lois Lane. Like, of course he's going to save her, but he doesn't know her. He doesn't love her yet. She's just some random woman that stumbled upon his mm-hmm. ship and he saves her without even thinking twice. Reveals himself to her, no problem whatsoever. He saved her life. She now knows exactly who he is, and he's known her for about 30 seconds. Does not love her. They're not like in love instantly or anything like that. But he saved mm. her life. These these are examples of him being heroic that aren't in the film, apparently. <laughs> well, I can I can tell there's a little in your tone there. 
Um, <laughs> I'm no, sorry. I'm defensive of this film. No, it's okay, because <laughs> I am very much as well. Uh, but let's get into that, because it's inevitable. We do have to talk about the huge controversy, uh, the huge controversial moments in this film. So let's start with the maybe line, because I'm a huge defender of Kevin Costner's Jonathan Kent. I think he's amazing. I love him. Um, and I do think this is very much a real world approach of what would a concerned father do in this situation? You know, putting yourself realistically in a parent's shoes, what would you do to protect your child? And that's what I see in this film in Jonathan Kent. So the maybe line. Tell me how you feel about that, Joe. I know we've talked about it before, but I mean, it's a 10 year anniversary. We might, we might as well bring it up. So tell me all about it. Yeah. I feel like we talked about it in our, our ranking episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be that guy. That's the parent and saying, if you're not a parent, you can't understand. Um, clearly you understand. <laughs> um, you obviously are a defender of the mm-hmm. line. But I could say as a parent, you will defend your child for a lot less (laughs) than like the ramifications of this. Like, yes, you put your children first and right or wrong. He's hesitant in saying that line because he's ashamed of himself for saying it. He's literally contemplating letting children die to save his son. Mm -hmm. He doesn't believe what he's saying. He doesn't even condone what he's saying. He just doesn't have an answer that's black and white. And if anyone has learned anything from Zack Snyder films, they're not black and white people. The world is not black and white. Zack Snyder lives in the gray area just like we all do. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that he he wants Clark to do the right thing but as a parent it's still his boy like and you want to protect your child no matter what it's from and in this case he's protecting his child from who knows what if this gets out and when we transition into the next controversial moment in this film, I will even double down on that because I, I like the, I, I, I love the Jonathan Kent moments in this film. And and I, I get why some people may not agree. I just, I can't get on board with it being this vitriol towards the film because of it. You can disagree, you can maybe not like it, but to say that Jonathan Kent is a terrible, or the Kevin Costner version of Jonathan Kent is a terrible interpretation of Superman's father, I do feel like it's a misunderstanding of what is on the screen. I'm not saying it's a misunderstanding of um, the, like, I don't, I don't think those people misunderstand the character. I think they're they're trivializing what he's saying to just be as simple as, Oh, how could Jonathan Kent let those kids die? How could Jonathan Kent not expect his son to save them? That's not what's happening. He's just unsure of how the best way to handle this would be. How can he protect his son and also let his son 
do the heroic things he does. And I, I love that conversation. Yeah. And I do too. And I think you nailed it. Um, I think people don't, I think they just hear the answer. They don't see the performance because exactly what you were saying. I mean, if you look at Jonathan's face in that moment, he's ashamed and he doesn't mean what he's saying at all. Like he knows that Clark has to do, you know, what, what he's driven to do, but he wants so badly to protect his son that, you know, he's, Sometimes he's willing to, no, he's not even willing to let him do things like that, but you know, he just, he doesn't know how to answer. And it's, and one thing that I've learned just in the time that, that we have become, my wife and I have become pseudo parents. The answer is there's no textbook, you know, on this, you know, it's, it's not easy to, to parent. (laughs) Um, and, and there's, I think I've said it numerous times that, we make mistakes as parents every day. <laughs> like there's no, there is definitely no textbook and there's clearly no textbook on how to raise an alien. With exactly. Yeah. Imagine your kids and, and the struggles that you have with your kids on a daily basis and put the, put them in this situation. Imagine how much more difficult that would be. Um, well, and think about how many times you talk to other parents to be like, "Hey, what did you do in this situation? You can't do that in his situation." No, they have to they have to hide things from other parents. And that's a, we even yeah. see a scene about that. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love the moment. Uh, I love I love when he, you know, takes him to the barn and uh, the probably my favorite scene in the movie has nothing it, Henry Cavill is not even in it. It's the scene where mm-hmm. Dylan Sprayberry as the young Clark says, can I just pretend, uh, can I just keep pretending I'm your son? And that performance from Jonathan, from, from Kevin Costner, when he, you can hear him breaking, you can hear his voice breaking up when he says, you are my son. And he pulls him into that hug. God, I love that scene so much. Um, and it made me, it, it made me a little bit emotional the night I saw it in the theater. Um, but yeah, but I have a thing with dads and sons, but either way, um, yeah. So the next moment you were discussing, I think it was the one you're bringing up is the, is the tornado scene, correct? Yeah. And I, I agree with you with the, um, with the, you are my son line. Cause that is just a beautiful line, mm-hmm. um, beautiful delivery. Everything about that gets the hard strings. Um, yeah, the tornado scene to me, again, people don't. They don't, I don't know if they don't, I I don't want to say they don't understand it because I don't think that's fair. I think they just don't like it and it's okay to not like Mm -hmm. it. I personally think that the scene has to be there to, for Jonathan to show that he means it when he tells Clark you can't reveal yourself until you are ready or the world is ready. Mm -hmm. And I mean that so much that I'm not going to let you save me. It would be hypocritical of Jonathan to let Clark save him. And I understand there are people that are like, well, even though he's saying don't save me, how could Clark let his father die? And to that, I say, 
that might be the most obvious answer in the film because he literally says it. Yeah. He literally says, I let my father die because I trusted him. Mm-hmm. And that is a beautiful moment to me. Again, you don't have to like it, but it's there. It's in the film why he did it. And he says, you know, he trusted him because he didn't believe the world was ready. And it kills Clark to listen to his father in that moment, but it's still his father. And he, your first, I mean, I I get it. It would be easy for him to just go in there and save him. Mm -hmm. But I think again, it's that gray area where he's trusting his father. He's listening to his dad. And he just had a fight with his dad five minutes earlier and he feels terrible about fighting with him and he, he loves his father and he then he listens and lets him die. And it's a terrible scene. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say for this one, um, I appreciate the scene. I appreciate what they're going for, but this scene is my biggest nitpick of the film. Um, and it's, you know, again, I completely understand what Zack Snyder was trying to accomplish with the scene. I just think it's a little clunky. Um, I think it, it leaves the, the situation leaves too many questions as to what, you know, Clark or Superman, even though he's not Superman yet could have done. Um, and I think it opens too many wind- windows and avenues for debate. Um, I love the meaning behind it because it's just like, um, you know, Jonathan having a heart attack in 78. The point behind it is, you know, with all this strength and all this power, you can't save everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And Jonathan is trying very much to to protect his son in this moment as well. But it's, I don't know, it just leaves too many avenues for debate and criticism for me. Um, now, it clearly doesn't stop me from loving the movie because I it, it's still my favorite DCU film. Uh, absolutely love this film. But it is, if there's a moment that gives me pause, it's this one. Um, and not to say that, like I said, it doesn't curb my enjoyment of the movie. I, I you know, I'm over it every time I watch it it's it's okay it's fine it just, I just think and I don't know because I'm not a writer I just think it could have been handled just a tiny bit better yeah and I, I don't disagree with that I think it could have been handled better I think you know him going back to save the dog mm. um, it's a little clunky um, me being a dog lover I get it uh, but I can understand that criticism it's just yeah I, I think it's doubling down on um, Jonathan basically putting his money where his mouth is. Is I, I told you you might have to let people die. I am not excusing myself from that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and, and I, I do appreciate that. I can, appre- I can appreciate that, even though the scene can be a little iffy. Yeah. Because it shows that Jonathan's not a hypocrite, and I do appreciate that. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, okay, so there's <laughs> there's one more. So let's say, and it is skipping to the end, but everybody's seen this film. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure... The other big controversial moment is, of course, Zod's next snap, um, which I'll be honest, I did not know that this was a huge deal until I got into the the internet, you know, superhero and movie 
world. Um, so I didn't know until probably after BVS that this is something that people had an issue with. And I don't know if you did or not, because I don't know what you were following or what you were doing at the time um, so far as online discourse. But I always saw this as the only choice that Clark had. And, and this is on the flip side of what we were just talking about with the tornado, where there were so many avenues and so much room for debate. I don't think there's any room for debate here. Clark had one choice in this scene. And, you know, it was between saving people's lives or ending the life of Zod. And and I never saw it as an issue. So, I don't know. Give me a little background. What Did, um, did you immediately know this was a, a huge, a hotly debated topic? Or, or how did that come about for you? No, I, I had no idea this was a de- thing. Um, I don't remember when I found out it was. Mm-hmm. But to me in the film, like, yeah, he killed an alien that you know, was looking to destroy the world. Um, what was he supposed to do? Arrest them? <laughs> like, I just don't, I know everyone's like, oh, well he could have just, you know, he could have saved those people without breaking his neck. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is bigger than that. Like, yeah, he might have been able to do something different in that particular point in time, but in the grand scheme of things, what's he supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Those people. Yeah. Um, What's he supposed to do with Zod? Like, honestly, like Zod's not going to stop. There's nothing he can do. To me, it was a, it was a no brainer. Like, I, I don't understand the the criticism. And I, I say this a lot with, with comic books or with superheroes. People are like, oh, well, and they say it a lot with Batman. Batman always finds a way to get out of the situation. No, the writer finds a way to write him out of the situation conveniently. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone's like, oh, well, he, they could have just written Zod to go into the Phantom Zone, which is what Nolan wanted originally were okay but in this case the writer chose to not have it work out that way and i personally think this made it more interesting and i i guess i relish the whole controversy crap (laughs) (laughs) but i just i don't understand what people wanted him to do and again this goes back to the whole stupid argument of like he kills Zod and Superman too. I was, he just doesn't break his neck. I was just about to say like, that. It, the funny, the funniest thing about this is, you know, if this was the first time that Superman had ever killed Zod, that would be one thing, but he did it in Superman too. And he's done it in the comics. So, I don't, you know, and I guess it's because like he breaks his neck, it's too violent, but I personally think the best part about it is the yell afterwards. Mm-hmm. Because it's showing how upset he is that he had to take a life. And again, it's not as simple as, oh, he just killed him. No, he he's just he's devastated by what he has just gone through to try to stop this guy. He pleaded with him to stop. He's been trying to reason with him the entire third act of this film. Yep. But he had no other choice but to do it this way. And I love the fact that he is devastated that he does it. He's exhausted because of everything he's been doing for the last, you know, hour of the film. And he needs Lois to console him because at the end of the day, he's just like us emotionally. Mm -hmm. And Lois is there to just hold him and hug him for what he has just done. And I know I'm getting sappy and cheesy and whatever. And maybe I just look too much into this stuff for people and people don't like that you know 
interpretation, but I do. And I, I see these things, whether I'm making it up in my own head or not, I see all this stuff in the film and I love it. Well, and there's that moment earlier in the film that Feora lays out the difference between Superman and the Kryptonians. It's morals. You know, she, she says that his, his morals are what makes him different and supposedly makes the Kryptonians superior. So it, it tells you from the beginning that these people have no morals and they have no issue slaughtering humans. And that's what makes Superman very much different. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I think the biggest thing for me is that I never questioned it because again, going back to Michael Shannon's performance and I'm going to praise Michael Shannon here. In my opinion, his performance made it absolutely clear that Zod was going to stop at nothing to destroy everything that Superman loved. And after he had lost, you know, after the Phantom um, projector or not the Phantom projector, the uh, world engine had gone, had been destroyed. And, you know, his hope of bringing back Krypton was gone. He had nothing. And he would stop at nothing to make sure that Superman had nothing. And he was going to kill every human on the planet. And like, again, going back to Michael Shannon's conviction, when he said that, I believed it. And I believe that Clark had no other choice but to end Zod's life. So I just thought it, I just think it's so well done. Um, well, yeah, because like at that point, the world engine's gone. Mm-hmm. Everything's destroyed. He has nothing left at this point. So there is no reasoning with him at this point. None. No. And the thing is with me, I think there are superhero movies that have discarded uh, villains without anywhere near as much justification. <laughs> yeah, seriously. As as this villain is in this movie. So, yeah, it's just, you know, if you want to go back, I mean, even, and I don't want to make a debate, but even if you want to go back to like, you know, Batman 89, I mean, with the with the Joker's death, there was, there like, Zod's death has way more ramifications than the Joker's did and is more justified, in my opinion. But, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but let's talk about some things that we that we really love, some less controversial moments. Um, so I kind of want to know, like looking back 10 years of this film, Joe, do you have a favorite moment of this film? And I know we talked about outside of I'll say outside of the Jonathan Kent moments. Do you is there a uh, is there a standout for you? Well, one b- person that we have not mentioned, I don't think, is Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White. Mm. And one of my favorite moments is when Jenny is under the rubble and him and Lombard are there trying to get her out. And it is very much a nine 11 parallel. Um, mm-hmm. But when she says, you know, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I can't get out. And the look on his face and lo- I love Lombard's face. I know like you could argue it's kind of done for humor, but I don't think it is. I I mean, it kind of is a lighthearted, but like when he just is like, oh no, like we have to go save her. I think it's just a, he's accepting the fact that we're not going to be able to save her and we're both going to die here trying to save her. But he doesn't run away. Give Lumbar credit. You know, he is a jerk throughout the whole film, but he's not cold. You know, like, yeah, he's a little weaselly, maybe, you know, not the best person in the world, but he's not going to leave Jenny. And I love the fact that you see that look on Lawrence Fishburne's face 
just holding Jenny's hand, accepting the fact that the three of them are going to die. And then it's, it's like, how many times have we seen this film? We know they're going to live. I get choked up every time I watch that scene. Um, and I think it's a great moment that has nothing to do with Superman. And I think that's smart to show stuff like that. Like it's other people being heroic in a Superman movie. And meanwhile, Superman is saving them mm-hmm. on the other side of the planet, destroying the world engine. And again, you know, they know that he just did that. And Jenny says, like, he saved us. It's it's a it's a beautiful moment. I, I think that he saved this line could be a little better i think it's funny because like you have to use that as a defense that like hey superman did save them <laughs> but people still don't even like it's like i'd argue that you don't need that line but people don't think that line's enough so who knows yeah but either way um that's a wonderful moment i do love you know the impending doom there and they still won't like you said they won't leave jenny um even though I mean, at that point there's no running anyway but they didn't mm-hmm. even attempt to. They were just going to stay with her, yeah. which is awesome. Um, there's, of course, we're going to talk about first flight because that's a that's a huge moment, um, and it's it is my favorite moment of the film outside of Jonathan's. You know, you are my son, but I did want to talk about Christopher Maloney because I think he is so freaking good in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, he's you know I was I loved. Maloney on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. I don't know if you ever watched that, Joe, but um, him as Stabler in Law and Order, he's so good. And and I was so excited to see him in this movie uh, when I saw it the first time. And I I just love the callback line when he's on the plane, and they have you know they have Kal-El's ship. They're going to use that <laughs> yeah. to destroy the um, the world engine when when he says, you know, when he repeats Feyora's line back to her of a good death is its own reward. Mm-hmm. I love that moment. And even, yeah, that's a great moment. Even though, you know, even though he is sacrificing himself and that sucks, um, it's so great the way it's done. And you can see in her fit, like I almost feel like Feyora is a little impressed. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you ever got yeah. that, but on my rewatch yeah. this time, just looking at her face, it, it was almost like she was impressed. Like she was, she was about to die, but she was impressed with him because they kind of had that dynamic throughout the whole film. It was like these two warriors, you know, pitted against yeah, each so other. It was like a fun rivalry between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you could, you could um, argue Maloney has another great line in the film. Um, one of the better lines of the film when he says, you know, this man is not our enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, you know, really great memorable moment from this, uh, a great line. And it's what you just reminded me because you were talking about other stuff he's been in. I always forget watching this and then I go back and watch Dawn of the Dead once in a while that Lumbar is the security guard from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Which is such a great casting, like two totally different, um, you know, parts. But I, I love that Zach uses uh, some of the same actors for his movies and that one. I always forget that it's the same guy. Well, I mean, there's also that great moment um, when when Superman and Lois are going to the to the ship to go meet Zod. And uh, when Feora tells them that he, Zod wants Lois and, and they tell her no. And she says, should I tell General Zod that you wish to not comply? And, or, yeah. and he says, I don't give a damn what you tell him. I just, yeah. he, you know, even though he knows these people can destroy them, he doesn't care. Yes. He's going to stick to his guns. Exactly. And I love that. Yeah. 
great another great moment yeah he has a lot i like the military presence in this film because mm-hmm. they could have very easily ignored that whole side of it but i think another thing that's done really well on this is like what would the military be doing in this case and there's a lot of, of great moments I, I think those are i think we've covered most of my my favorite moments i do want to say my one nitpick my biggest nitpick in the film um I've seen a lot of people criticize this moment and I don't have a lot of criticism to this movie, but I think the biggest nitpick is the, not the kiss itself, but the line after the kiss. Um, Oh, um, it's like, it's all downhill from here. It's like, I think that's all, it's all downhill after the first kiss. I think that's only when you're kissing a human. I guess it was like, they're kind of trying to lighten the mood a little bit at that moment. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I would have preferred not to have it. The kiss doesn't bother me at all. Mm-mm. I think it's the conversation, the, the stupid line after it. It always is kind of a little eye rolling. Well, yeah, because I think their chemistry was building throughout the entire movie. But I, I agree with you. I don't think the line was necessary. Um, the and line almost feels out of character for both of them. And it's not funny. I think they were. Going, no, it's just awkward. Yeah, I think they were going for funny. I think they were going to lighten the mood after all this destruction yes. with, a, with a little bit of levity. But it just it falls yep. flat. It comes awkward to me, but I like the kiss. The kiss does not bother me in the least. Yeah, but um, so I absolutely wanted to talk about Hans Zimmer's music, and I think that's a perfect time to talk about First Flight. Um, because I, as I said earlier, I absolutely love that moment. I love that they homaged it in Zack Snyder's Justice League with, I guess, quote unquote, second flight. Um, but that moment and the score and just the exhilaration, especially seeing it in IMAX that first time of Superman flying. Like I know the huge tagline for Superman 78 is, you know, you'll believe a man can fly. Um, and I will say, I, I don't think I ever really believed it until I saw Superman take off in man of steel. (laughs) Um, I just, I love him soaring over the, the landscapes, you know, the African safari with the animals out that, you know, just him and even the, the stumbles of him trying to learn this, you know, cause out of the yeah. gate, he crashes through a mountain and all of this, but, and you know, there's Jor-El's dialogue in the background, you know, they will stumble, they will fall, but in time they'll, they'll, you know, all of that stuff is amazing. I love it. Um, and I, I still think to this day, it's one of the most impactful superhero sequences in any movie I've ever seen. Um, and then of course, as I said, Hans Zimmer's music behind it, because as epic and as, you know, classic as the John Williams Superman theme is I love Hans Zimmer's Superman score I just think Man of Steel has an amazing score um so what about you Joe first flight Hans Zimmer well first flight is an amazing sequence I pretty much echo everything you've said again the visuals of that scene too just stupid things that I remember I love the look of the cape I love the snow the shot of him putting his hand over that little hill and you see his hill just or his hand just grab the snow again just beautiful shots um beautiful detail in the shot and you know just zoomed in on the the snowflakes and i, I don't know i'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and the score itself let's be honest the, the john williams superman theme is one of the best themes that has ever been in a film but I love the Zimmer theme, and I think anything that even can come close to that is almost a miracle. Like, the fact that you can somehow create a new Superman theme 
that gives you the chills in these particular scenes. And it's not copying John Williams, but it's, it's making a new version of something iconic that fits this film and the uplifting, you know, temp, excuse me, the tempo of first flight. And then you have the, the piano notes for the more somber moments. They work so well together in this movie. And I think I will say, I miss the, the first flight music and the, uh, what are you going to do when you're not saving the world? I miss a lot of those up-tempo themes in the, uh, sequel, you know, in BVS and in justice league. I wish we got more of those themes, mm-hmm. um, than just the piano notes, but I think the music in this film itself is beautiful. I love everything about the music for this film. Yeah, I do too. And it, even the way it swells right there at the end, when you, when, you know, um, what are you going to do when you're not saving the world? Exactly what you were talking about when Clark is heading to metropolis and, you know, he, you see him get off the elevator and he, he is introduced to officially introduced to Lois Lane. And Oh, by the way, I love that last line from Lois. Welcome to the planet. So many great meanings behind that. And it just, you know, after it, after it cuts to black there and that theme Zimmer's theme soars. Um, yeah. A perfect ending to a fantastic movie in my opinion and no post-credit scene. It's before that time really kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> yep. And I, I, I love that final scene. I mean, that is up there with Batman begins for me uh, mm-hmm. as far as final scenes in a film go. I love the welcome to the planet, the smile on his face. You get the traditional looking Clark with the smile and, you know, the glasses, the modernized look of Clark Kent at the daily planet. I love everything about it. I, I really, I think that the way the last scene is shot with him on the bicycle and, you know, they hide the glasses till the end. I love it. Um, you're right. Perfect. ending. I, I will say, I think my biggest regret for this movie is not even anything to do with the movie. It's the fact that we never got a sequel to it. A true sequel. Um, BBS absolutely is, is a follow-up. Um, but like the way it ends with just Clark so happy and smiling and, you know, Lois telling him, telling him, welcome to the planet. I always wanted one more, you know, I would have loved one in between this and, and BVS just to see yeah. Superman and Metropolis doing his thing. Um, it didn't happen. You know, it is what it is, but it felt like that's where we were heading at the end mm-hmm. of the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it is what it is. There's we can't go back and change it now. But mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I, I don't know how much more I can say, Joe. I you know how much I love this movie. Um I do want to say though that one of the reasons I was so excited about this being the 10th anniversary and it being so close to the flash is the fact that I know and you've already seen it, so be careful about what you say, but you know how much I love Zod and I'm so excited that we revisit some of those moments in the flash. I can't wait to see that. Um, So I'll just ask you this. Um, Because Feora is in the flash as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Do, do, does the performance of Zod live up to the performance of man of steel? In the flash? Yeah. 
I, I don't even want to answer it. Um, okay. I prefer not to answer it just because I don't want to get into it and I don't want to kind of even, I don't even want to give you an expectation. Just go by what you're seeing in the trailers okay. and, and wait to see the film. Yeah. I'd rather not even, um, whatever I say is not going to affect you in a good way or a bad way. I'd rather you just kind of leave it because I think it's better to be surprised by what you're getting. Hey, I appreciate that. No yeah. worries. Um, but yeah, I am. I'm super excited to see Zod again. I'm super excited to see Feora and these little bits and pieces that, that harken back to man of steel, because it's interesting to me to imagine a, a world where th- these events happen, but there's no Superman to save the day. So can't wait to see that. And that's a huge reason why we wanted to cover this movie um, leading up to the flash. Uh, but that's coming in a couple of weeks. But for now, Joe, um, I think that's a good place to, to kind of cap it off for, for the day. So give me some final thoughts on Man of Steel 10 years later. I I mean, this is definitely my favorite Superman film, traditional Superman film. Um, mm-hmm. It's up there in my DC films, not my top one like you. I mean, we... We could gush about this film for a long time. We didn't even... I don't think we gave uh, um, Amy Adams enough credit for Lois Lane in this podcast uh, so far. I, I wish we would have been able to talk about her more because I love her in this. I think she is the perfect... Oh, she's fantastic. She is the perfect counterpart to Clark, in my opinion. I love that they didn't dumb her down. I love that she knows who he is right off the bat. We don't need to hide that he's you know, Superman. I, I love that she loves him not just superman um we didn't talk much about general swanwick <laughs> you know there's so many things about this film that i love that i wish we probably could have touched on you know for another hour or two and you know just the way we love this movie but i do i every time i watch this film i appreciate it more and more i appreciate the fact that to me, it gives us everything we wanted from a Superman film. It has the heart. It has the setup of the character. In my opinion, I think it does do a great job of, you know, why he is the way he is from the way his parents raised him. I know everyone, or for the most part, most people disagree with that. But to me, I like the way it was handled. I think the action in this film is what everyone really wanted after Superman returns. I think it was just too much for some people. Um, (laughs) I can understand that to an extent that maybe the final battle goes on a little too long, but I think it warrants it from the standpoint of Zod is a threat. And I think it needed to be, it needed to show how much of a threat these two beings uh, fighting would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, without getting more into the, the nuances of the film, I, I think I do just, every time I watch this film, I appreciate it more and more. And I think it made me a Superman fan that's what I take away from this film the most is this is what made me dive into Superman comics. This is what made me get into the Superman, the animated series and, and be a DC fan. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the year prior is when green lantern came out and that movie being what it was, it was still a kind of a gateway for me to kind of get more into the DC universe. um, But not, to the extent that this film made me uh, mm-hmm. and this, you know, branched out into the, the world of the, the DC films. We, you know, when BVS was announced, that was such a, such an event. 
you know, only two months after, or no, only a month after this film was released, if I remember correctly, right? I believe so, yeah. At Comic-Con. So this was the start of everything. And yeah, I, I love this film. Could talk about it more and more, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and I will let you, uh, I will let you close us out. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely have to mirror what you said about, you know, this is the film that made me a Superman fan. Um, and I will always, you know, hold it in a special place because of that. And even if it's topped one day as a, as a DCU film, um, and we've only got a couple left in this, in this, uh, arc, I guess. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but man, man of steel, it means so much to me because like you said, I mean, before this, I, I always liked Superman, but this movie made me love Superman and Henry Cavill is absolutely my favorite, you know, portrayal of Superman. Not gonna, not gonna knock uh, Tyler Hoechlin though. He's, he's pretty good himself. Uh, but yeah, Cavill, I, I love Cavill as Superman so much. And in my opinion, and I know this is a bold statement, but in, in my opinion, Man of Steel is the single most underrated superhero film that's ever been made. Um, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. I think it's a fantastic visual feast. I think it's a great story um, full of amazing characters and amazing actors bringing those characters to life. I mean, like you said, there's so many that we could go on and on about. We didn't give Diane Lane enough credit in this podcast. I think she's phenomenal in this movie. Um, like you said, I mean, Lennox as Swanwick, so good. And a role that he continued on in several other films. Just from start to finish, this movie is a thrill ride to me. Um, but it's not empty calories. There's so much to dig into. Um, there's so much world building, uh, so many little hints and Easter eggs here and there. We didn't even mention, you know, that the, the Wayne enterprises satellite or the LexCorp <laughs> yeah. logo that you see. Yep. Um, so many l little fun details though. And in the middle of all this, you know, destruction and, and thrills, there's, there's a lot of heart and, I, I love that it's an origin story that doesn't feel like a cliche. Um, and it just, yeah, this movie soars. And I know that's, that's kind of tacky, but it does. Uh, and I love it, love it dearly. And I, again, I am stunned that it is 10 years old, but here we are to just, again, reinforces that we are getting old, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, there you have it, guys. Uh, there's kind of a, a look back at 10 years of Man of Steel, the movie that kicked off the DCU. And isn't it kind of strange that we're, we're celebrating this 10 years later and it feels like um, that movie started it and it feels like we're kind of coming to a close on this world, Joe. It's a little surreal. Yeah, we're coming to a close on this world with a film that um, will in some way... Uh, you know, pay tribute to this film. It obviously will involve these characters again that, mm -hmm. you know, so between this, this movie and the movie we're going to cover next time on the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's pretty real. It's pretty, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, re relevant that, uh, <laughs> that these two films happen to, to line up for us. And I, I, I love that 
I love that we got to talk about this one and I can't wait to discuss uh, what this means for the flash uh, in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And and I will say this, I think it's fascinating that James Gunn is choosing a little bit of a similar approach. um, Whereas he's his sort of official kickoff of the new universe is Superman legacy. So it's very interesting that he's kind of repeating the mold here of starting a universe with a Superman film. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see time. will tell what that looks like. Um, but in the meantime, I think that's where we're going to end it for today, guys. Uh, just so everybody's aware, little peek behind the curtain here. I'm doing a little traveling uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we did record this episode just a tiny bit early. Um, if you guys did send any emails, we, we won't be reading them this week. Um, but they will be read uh, on a future episode, maybe on the flash episode. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but thank you guys so much for continuing to support this show. We, we appreciate it greatly. Uh, but for now, Joe, thank you so much for joining me again and, and talking about this movie that we both love and uh, make sure you tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me for this one. I'm glad we decided to cover it. Not that I thought there was any doubt that we would, um, you know, (laughs) it's a Batman show, but we got to cover the DC films. We got to cover the big ones. So I'm glad we Mm -hmm. did. And, uh, so yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd as J Forn 11. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. And if any of you, again, have seen The Flash um, and you would like to discuss it with me, you know, direct message me, private message me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever you guys can, uh, whatever you guys want to do, please, I'm, I'm open to discussing it. And if not, I will talk to you guys in two weeks when the rest of the world has seen it. Oh, and that reminds me, if you have not heard Joe's thoughts, uh, his very spoiler-free thoughts on The Flash, make sure you go over to our YouTube channel. Uh, that's Just go to YouTube, look up TFR Bat Pod. We did put up a little uh, clip. It's about five minutes in, uh, of Joe uh, giving his thoughts, absolutely spoiler-free, after his preview screening of The Flash. So make sure you go check that out. Um, but otherwise myself, if you're looking for me, my personal accounts can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at me Carter 89. That's M E Carter 89. The show can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TFR bat pod. If you have thoughts or questions or suggestions for future episodes of this show, make sure you shoot us an email. That's TFR bat pod at gmail.com. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. If you leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. Uh, If you're looking for another way to support us, and again, we don't ask that you spend any money on this show, but if you feel like you'd like to, we'd certainly appreciate it. Go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word, and find our logos on all kinds of stuff there. Our theme music was created by the very talented Gaurav Vindakeswar, and his music can be found on gvtunes.net. That's going to do it for this episode of The Fire Rises. Thank you guys so much. Happy 10 years to Man of Steel, and make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward.
Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Just anyone, Clark, and I have to believe that you were that you were sent here for a reason. All these changes that you're going through, one day, one day you're gonna think of them as a blessing, and when that day comes, you're gonna have to make a choice. A choice of whether to stand proud in front of the human race or not. Can I just keep pretending I'm your son? You are my son. But somewhere out there, you, you have another father, too, who gave you another name. And he sent you here for a reason, Clark. And even if it takes you the rest of your life, you owe it to yourself to find out what that reason is.